Did you know that we're exposed to thousands of commercial messages every day? And are you aware that consumers tend to trust what influencers say about brands much more than what brands say about themselves? When brands need to cut through the noise and reach consumers, influencer channels offer an unrivaled space to create genuine, meaningful dialogue and connect directly with consumers on their terms. Welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, a podcast brought to you by Cure Media, a leading influencer marketing company for fashion brands. This is your weekly podcast to understand more about influencer marketing and why it's such a powerful channel when it comes to building trust in your target group. Every Wednesday, we'll cover topics such as how to build a successful influencer marketing strategy, how to measure the effects, the role of influencer marketing in the overall media mix, and of course, the latest trends and insights on what's up in the influencer marketing and social media sphere. And we know you're busy, so every episode is right around 15 minutes. Perfect to tune into on your morning walk, during your morning routine, or on your way to and from work. Join us and our expert guests to stay up to date and take your marketing strategy to the next level with influencer marketing. The world's fastest growing marketing method. I'm Sana Oudmark. And I'm Frida Ekholm. And this is Influencer Marketing Talks. Hello and welcome back to Influence Marketing Talks, brought to you by Cure Media, the leading influence marketing company for fashion, home and beauty brands. As ever, this is your weekly podcast to learn more about consumer marketing in the digital age in as quickly as we can get through it. I think this episode is going to run a bit longer because it is our summer special and we are so excited and privileged to be joined by Lucy McGuire, Trends Editor at Vogue Business. Today's episode is hot off the press because we are joined by Lucy McGuire, Trends Editor at Vogue Business. Now, Lucy, you're currently Trends Editor, but you have a really impressive back catalogue of bylines. You've covered everywhere from Vogue Britain to Paris to Russia to Italy. So you are pretty much best placed to tell us about what kind of trends are happening in the consumer fashion movement. So we are so excited to have you join us today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to chat to you today. We've got so much exciting stuff on store. So whether you are already clocked off for the summer, whether you're halfway through a nice sunny commute, you are in for a good episode. So welcome, Lucy, to the virtual podcast studio. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. It's very hot today in London, so I'm pretty pretty warm. I am, as you can see, I, I, well, for those that watching video I live on a boat and um, it gets pretty hot in this wheelhouse <laughs> but yeah I'm happy the sun's shining and I'm going to Glastonbury tomorrow so last day of work <laughs> and fingers crossed it stays that way sunny yeah. Glastonbury would be the dream I'm hoping so I'm hoping so though there's a lot of rain reports going around in my whatsapp oh, no. so I've been like panic ordering um panic ordering ponchos today yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will keep all my fingers crossed for you thank you so I would love to start by just hearing a bit about kind of your career path in fashion and and what led you to what you're doing today and what you do 
on a day-to-day as trends editor at Vogue Business? Yeah, sure. So my career path in fashion is in some ways conventional, in some ways quite unconventional. So I'd never studied fashion. I didn't study journalism Mm. even. I went to UCL and did a course called Arts and Sciences, where it's basically if you don't want to, if you want to carry on doing the A-level thing where you don't really choose. (laughs) Um, So I did English, French, Russian and biology. Um, So the languages have come in useful for sure. But apart from that, it kind of wasn't super relevant to the fashion industry. (laughs) But the way that I worked, it was I interned in every holiday um, you know, every reading week, Christmas, Easter, um, at fashion brands. So, you know, from Roxander to Jonathan Saunders, which doesn't exist anymore, but I interned yeah. for both of them. And I interned at any magazine that would take me from House and Garden to Red Magazine, which I'm sure that people's mums read, my mum read it. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, I, I would genuinely go to any publication that would take me. And I think that that all prepared me. So when I finished university, I got an internship at British Vogue. Um, I had these grand plans to go traveling, but um, yeah, that happened. And then I basically never left. Um, so yeah. I was at British Vogue for a month. And then um, I, Susie Menkes is a very prominent like fashion journalist. She's been around. She's been in the game for a long time. And I, I worked with her then after British Vogue. I got a sort of permanent internship. Well, semi-permanent internship that was paid. Um, so I worked with her for nine months. And then from then, I've just been transitioning through teams at Vogue. Uh, so I worked kind of in a production capacity at first for Vogue International, but I kind of just kept begging to write and then eventually, you know, I had to get little bylines doing city guides or small features, style style files, that kind of thing. And yeah. it kind of built from there. And I think one lesson that I really took was, you know, if you're a writer, you've got to just write and like you've got to kind of push it on people and then be like, I can take that. I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll pitch things. And eventually then people start to see you as a writer rather than just a production person. So yeah. That's kind of how it all happened. And then now I am. Um, so I started at Vogue Business. So I moved there from Vogue International three and three and a bit years ago. Um, I started out as an assistant. Um, but yeah, much like I was just saying about the kind of pushing to write, I was always really, really keen to write as much as possible. And I'd, mm-hmm. you know, pull some late hours, which I shouldn't, I wasn't supposed to, but I would pull some late hours and get all my production done in the day and then like pitch things and write stories at night. And eventually I was promoted to associate and I kept doing more of the same. <laughs> and yeah, then I became trends editor in October, 2020. Um, and in my current role, so my focus is um, is reporting on emerging designers, streetwear, sportswear, anywhere where luxury fashion kind of crosses over with youth culture is my yeah. remit. Um, and that can be, you know, when TikTok first came onto the scene, you know, I was reporting really heavily on that and its effect on the industry. Or it can be, you know, emerging fashion brands that are changing the way that we think about luxury. Um, and I run also the Vogue Business Future Edit which is a newsletter that we spotlight different emerging brands and startups every week. Um, So it's a really exciting role. It's really varied. And you get to be at the forefront of things. You're reporting on the things that are breaking, that are dictating the next stage of this amazing industry, which must be so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even yesterday I was speaking to a designer, um, a a brand Blue Marble that showed at Paris Fashion Week Men's today. And, you know, he's like, his aesthetic is completely new in terms of Parisian menswear that, you know, has traditionally been known as quite classic or minimal or or hyper sexy or aggressive. Mm -hmm. He's kind of surf and skate inspired. People thought that his brand wasn't even from Paris at all. And it's like meeting people like that that are kind of at the forefront of what, you know, the future of fashion and luxury is going to look like, or at least, you know, the young, what the younger consumers want it to look like. I I think that's really interesting. For sure. That's so interesting. And you mentioned, to pinpoint one of the things you mentioned, obviously you mentioned TikTok which has a huge influence uh, on the fashion space, which I don't think anyone could have seen coming. And am I right in saying that you're working on the Vogue business um, TikTok trend tracker? I am, yeah. Bit of a mouthful, but yes, I am. I had to really think that one through. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so we launched the TikTok trend tracker now. I think it was 
three months ago and it mm. forms part of the future edit that goes out every week yeah. and basically you know TikTok obviously but became came onto the scene really like 2019 and I think I started reporting on it late 2019 and a lot in 2020 mm-hmm. at that time a lot of my reporting was kind of speculative you know at that point a yeah. lot of brands didn't even have accounts even fashion as a vertical on the platform was it was really nascent you know there wasn't a lot of people posting necessarily about fashion and style compared to to now but what we've seen over the last few years is that fashion and style content has just proliferated on the platform. You know, yeah. hashtags like outfit of the day, get ready with me, fashion inspo. They're some of the highest performing hashtags on, on TikTok. And it, I think it's become known now as a place where people can get style advice, learn about new labels, learn about new products, get advice on how things fit. Um, the, the, real, the TikTok audience is really looking to, to the platform for to consult with them about fashion and inspire them in the fashion space. And that's been a really interesting transition because I think early on TikTok was changing fashion in a lot of ways. You know, it was making fashion more democratic and, and more mm. raw in its communication because fashion brands, you know, if they were trying to get on there, they had to start making fun of themselves and working yeah. with in their bedrooms and things. And I think that was the initial effect. And now I think, you know, it's completely embedded in the way that people consume fashion and are inspired to buy it. Um, so, that yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting thing. And the TikTok trend tracker looks at the platform in the fashion space, but also outside. And we spotlight, you know, the top trending songs of the month, top trending formats and video topics and styles um, creators that are really interesting globally that have, you know, the, the, the content's gained a lot of traction over the month and why that might be. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting project that we've we've developed and it's really popular. I think people... You know, a lot of people still are not familiar with TikTok and they really want that insight into like what's making people tick on the platform. And it, it does change drastically week to week. Month to yes, week. I was just about to say that, you know, um, obviously social media is our game and I uh, work in social media with social media for our brand. And I'm, you know, I'm 30 years old and I feel ancient on TikTok <laughs> with how quickly it changes because you do, you have to be so on top of it. Mm-hmm. And with that, is there you know, it'd be really helpful for our brands. I realise I might be putting you on the spot there. Are there any kind of future trends that you think brands could be ready for or get a head start on that you see coming on the platform? So I think that shoppability on TikTok still mm-hmm. has quite a long way to go. And so yeah. when I speak when I speak to creators, creators are really keen to, to mm-hmm. produce this, you know, ha- take their fashion concepts to the next level by working with shopping features, making it shoppable, linking out, you know, their affiliate links and that kind of thing. I think that we're going to see a lot more of like, that in-app buying behavior but I think that right now the features are still kind of in their infancy um, yeah. you know from from audience data that we receive and as I mentioned before you know inspiration on fa- in fashion TikTok is huge but I think that the link between that point of inspiration where somebody watches a product video whether it's some Dickies 874s or it's Dua Lipa on tour wearing Versace when somebody watches that video that that inspiration moment needs to be harnessed better. And I think that it will start to be harnessed better as the platform matures, as creators mature and learn more about the, the journey and how to monetize their, their yeah. affiliate programs, etc. cetera. Um, so that shopability is a huge one. And, and also I think another thing to think about, and this is particularly applies to fashion, increasingly brands are learning that working with creators outside of the fashion space and working with creators with alternative talents yeah, actually can be so much more powerful or at least you know at least as powerful and give you a different string to your bow you know I'm thinking about people like Francis Bourgeois or Kabulami yeah. or these like comedy TikTokers or TikTokers that have a completely different passion um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a bit more later but you know the silos between cultures the culture mm-hmm. at the moment is 
are just breaking down. You know, arts, music, fashion, they're all influencing each other more than ever. And yeah. I think like, working with creators across different fields and different verticals can be the best way for brands like looking ahead at the future on TikTok. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's a wonderful thing to watch happen, actually, that we are losing the specificity of, of niches because with that becomes, that is the gateway to diversity. That is the gateway to yeah. inclusion. You cannot yeah. have one without the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love seeing that. But I just want to hop back to the bit that you were talking about with shoppability mm-hmm. um, because it feels, the uh, you know, the other big social media platform would be remiss to not mention Instagram. Of course. It, it feels, and I'm sure this is just a maturity issue, but it feels like Instagram has kind of got the jump at the moment on shoppability. Their features feel um, a lot more intuitive. We know they have a lot more in the pipeline coming mm. to facilitate that even further, make that you know purchase decision even more seamless, even easier to do on, on their platform. How do you think those two platforms are going to, influence fashion going forward do you think there will be a clash or how do you think that's going to play out for for the fashion landscape I think that there's a place for both and mm. I can't see that changing in the immediate future because there's a really important distinction between Instagram content and, and its audience in some ways and, and TikTok content you know yeah. Instagram is extremely aspirational I think it kind of lends itself currently a little bit better to the shopping experience because it's a lot more, I mean, obviously we've got reels, maybe we'll talk about that in a moment, but you know, in terms of the main, the main way that people consume Instagram, yes, static, very polished, aspirational shots, Mm -hmm. right? And whether they're campaign or their product shots, you know, it's a lot easier and kind of mirrors the e-commerce shopping experience a little bit better than than TikTok does. So I think, you know, it does lend itself to that in a, a bit, it's a bit more intuitive to shop from Instagram, perhaps. I think, you know, with brands, it's great to have both Instagram and TikTok as a tool because let's say on Instagram, you know, you can post some really beautiful polished campaign shots that are going to really, you know, be really eye-catching as people are scrolling through the feed and perhaps it makes them want to shop right through. For TikTok, actually, what is better to do perhaps is to tell the story of your heritage, tell stories of your com- you, the brand community and people who buy into it and who are fans of mm-hmm. it even, you know, post a comedy video or a video that aligns you with a certain film or a culture. I think that, you know, TikTok allows you to like really lift the lid and people want the content to be a little bit more, A, a little bit more fun. And yep. B, and if it's not, if it's not going to be fun, then they want it to teach them something, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, the, there's that distinction. And I think that there's absolutely room for both. Um, and I think also, you know, there's this real trend towards more product information on TikTok. And as, as I mentioned before, you know, with the, the Dickies 874, for example, you know, that that pair of trousers is like a bog standard workwear trouser, but there's 50.6 million views wow. on the hashtag on, on yeah. TikTok. And uh, most of the videos are just like, this is a size I got and this is how it fits. And like, that's the kind of thing that TikTok is great for. You know, it's it's like yeah. that actual like nitty gritty, not really, it's not sexy product information, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's useful. So I think there's, there's definitely room for both. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think one of the important things that you've highlighted there and that we are always talking to the brands we work with about and, and anyone who will listen really <laughs> is that to, to really avoid just trying to dump content onto both, you know, the same Absolutely. content, recycle it across platforms. Mm. I have seen content that would be perfect for Instagram crash and burn on TikTok because yeah. it's not the right format. It's not the right approach. Mm, absolutely. You know, you have to adapt to to the demands the expectations of those different audiences on those platforms 
thinking about one brand that you know social, that has social media down to a T is Jacquemus, right? They, their social media, yeah. I think that that has lent itself in a lot of ways to their amazing growth. You know, now it's yeah. such a huge brand. They've done a massive collaboration with Nike, and it's it's really astounding the way that they've managed to build it over the years. I think it's eleven years or, or twelve. But a really good example of this is with the Chiquito bag, which is like a viral item of a couple of years ago. On Instagram, you know, Jacquemus's aesthetic is extremely beautiful, aerial shots of lavender fields. It's shoots in Provence. It's really like beautiful, beautiful imagery. Fruit in a bowl with a Chiquito in front. Yeah. On TikTok, they took the mini Chiquito. And you know that there's the TikTok format from a while ago where it's Adele, someone like you. And there's yeah. one, one item and then the camera pans and it's like a hundred of the item, almost like, acting like the items are a choir. Yeah. Jacquemus did that, but with a, with the mini Chiquito, right? <laughs> And that's the difference, you know, one on one, it's this beautiful polished shot of, of a mini Chiquito with a fruit bowl and like, some beautiful artisanal objects. And then on TikTok, it's like, this, the bag's still there, but it's in a completely different context of the completely yeah. different tone. And that's that's the way that you, you can use both platforms. And yeah, you shouldn't share content between no. them. No, absolutely not. <laughs> now, Gen Z obviously are, and I'm sure they make up much of your work because they really are driving much of the fashion industry at the moment. And that's as much from designers and brand owners as it is consumers side. You know, we do, I think a lot of brands still make the mistake of thinking of Gen Z as um, kids, basically. And and at the upper end, their mid-20s, they are driving whole creative forces within the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. How do you see their influence playing out over the next couple of years? Yeah, this is fascinating. I mean, that's that's a really interesting point that you make that, you know, these the Gen Zs that be they do not have buying power, you know, and yeah. and it's not just that, but also like a lot of them are running businesses. Yeah. They're the most entrepreneurial generation we've ever seen. I mean, the amount of young streetwear brands and emerging designers that I speak to now that are under 25, and for some of them, they've built multi-million pound businesses, basically launched from social media. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, it's reframing it as well. Like they're not even just the consumers at this point. And so they yeah. are completely reshaping the industry. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, companies are very, very attuned to targeting Gen Z. And there's a lot of assumptions that are made. And yeah. I think actually, you know, it's really important that particularly as they mature to actually think about the nuances. So like a really good example is, you know, on one hand, on the one hand, a lot of people will say, oh, Gen Z's really care about sustainability. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, OK, cool. So businesses are pivoting to that, you know, the sustainable messaging, et cetera, et cetera. But what businesses maybe are ignoring is that there's a huge, huge and growing population of Gen Zs who want to buy all their clothes from Shein and Pretty Little Thing and ultra fast fashion brands that have been heavily criticised around the sustainable credentials. Businesses are not really thinking about that second group because the most common assumption is the sustainability one. And so yeah. they're maybe not thinking about things like faster delivery or you know, the, the price sensitivity of the generation and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And there's a lot of sort of binaries that we need to we need to consider around Gen Z or, you know, things like they don't have a good attention span. They, they've got a shorter attention span than millennials. And maybe there were a couple of studies that said that. And I imagine that for a lot of them, maybe it's true. They grew up with iPads and things that we just didn't yeah. have. But, you know, they also love YouTube. And the average length of a video on YouTube is, I think, 11 minutes. So yeah. it's actually, you know, really digging into the generation, not as like, not using, there's been a set of studies, maybe 20 studies that people refer back to and back to and back to. And actually, I think it's really important to keep listening to the, this generation because, you know, my opinions on things and brands and my choices are completely different than they were a few years ago as I've matured and I'm still yeah. a millennial. And so I think like with, you know, with Gen Z's, I think like, yeah, to your point, it's, it's really important to, to zoom in and, and actually listen to them on platforms like TikTok 
on you know they're, they're still using like youtube and snapchat and mm-hmm. on, social media is a great barometer to understand like how they behave and how they perceive the world and how they perceive fashion yeah i mean social media has this wealth of information you can see public perception of trends of brands of mm-hmm. movements in real time and i i think that's a big lesson for for brands to really maximize how they're using that in that intelligence really yeah and i think as well the way that gen z's like to interact online there's a certain mm-hmm. level of intimacy that they demand and um, that it sounds like a strange word to use but i think it's the best word because you know they they are used to creators that they can respond to and that respond to them on tiktok you know there's yeah. so many of fashion's biggest creators on the platform and creators more generally they'll say things like what what style do you guys want me to try out next or what film character do you want me to act out next or mm-hmm. style myself as next and you know, there's this real feedback loop with how they expect to be communicated with and to. And I think that they expect that level like from brands as well, like they want to be able to say to a brand, you know, sort out your delivery or yeah. <laughs> please, can you restock this item? I loved it. And it like went out of stock in my favorite retailer. And they want that, you know, brands should be listening to that. And I think that, yeah. you know, some of the best, some of the, I don't want to say the best brands, but some of the brands that have reached the most success and the highest growth, you know, thinking of brands like Nike, and of course they have the resources but you know they have teams of people just listening on social media yeah. and just just reading through those comments responding that kind of thing and I think that intimacy is is really important and and it comes from gaming as well you know like Gen Z's are really used to you know their favorite gaming creators like putting on a headset and being able to chat to them and say you know oh like can you wear this skin or what do you think about this and they come from a completely different world in which everything is so much more connected and they expect from brands, you know, they expect brands to be more intuitive and and respond to them better. For sure. It really does feel like next phase in the kind of B2C. I don't even think B2C is the right term really for how brands should be communicating with this audience. It is human to human. I don't even like peer to peer even seems too formal. It's the next stage of whatever that is. Absolutely, absolutely. And particularly, you know, around like even small things like resharing content that your community has shared around your brand. That's a really, really small thing, but the companies that do it and you know, Gucci did that when um, there was the Gucci model challenge on TikTok. They were resharing a lot of that and it J.W. Anderson did it when um, people were crocheting the Harry Styles, J.W. Anderson card, yep. they, they leaned in and started sharing, you know, more recently. I know I mentioned the Dickies example before. I've just done a story on this. So it's fresh in my mind. <laughs> um, you know, Dickies, were, they share content and the, the, it'll be content of a truck driver that loves Dickies, but they'll have made like yeah. a, mini, a mini video with them. And it's it's not just about, you know, celebrities and influencers on social media mm-hmm. anymore. It's like particularly for young people they want to feel like a part of your community and that doesn't just mean buying your clothes or buying your products it means actually you know you responding to their videos resharing their videos making them a part of the business yeah 100% and how do you see that developing obviously gen z has kind of been the end point we've run out of letters no one can exist (laughs) after gen z but of course generation alpha are coming Mm -hmm. They're going to grow up just as quickly as Gen Z seem to. Yeah, faster. What are faster. your thoughts? <laughs> faster. God knows. Yeah. What? What? How? What should brands be anticipating from this new audience? Do you think? So there's a topic that we haven't touched on yet that I'm surprised that I haven't mentioned yet. But obviously, you know, it's all about Web three with this generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think even even for me, you know, I've got a couple of relatives that are Generation Alpha, and a really good example that I, I often give with this is. So I covered Balenciaga launched with Fortnite, a collaboration with Fortnite. It was before Christmas and I covered it for Vogue Business. We broke the story. It was great. I went home for Christmas and I walked into my cousin's house and her little boy, who was seven at the time, 
the second I opened the door, and this is in Rochdale, which is like a town in the north of England, you know, the nearest luxury mall is an hour away. The nearest luxury <laughs> retail is like department stores an hour away. Um, I walk into the house and he goes, oh my God, Lulu, Balenciaga, the Fortnite Balenciaga thing. Like, I want a Balenciaga hoodie. Can you get me some Balenciaga trainers? Do you know people at Balenciaga? And at oh, that wow. moment, I thought, whoa, like that was a really smart move on, on yeah. Balenciaga. Like, and, you know, Fortnite is it's a metaverse. It's, that's them entering into Web3 in a really smart way. But that level of brand awareness for Generation Alpha is mm-hmm. insane. I didn't, I don't think I knew what Balenciaga was when I was seven. I, nope. Sure I, <laughs> I, I mean, maybe Vuitton just because it was like the 2000s and everyone was carrying around like the, the monograms. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but I think, you know, that's the, that's what we have to think about today. It's that this generation, like they're growing up with mm-hmm. them in the metaverse for at least a portion of their lives, a lot of them. I mean, and in fact, the cousin of the, my, my, my other cousin's son, who they're best friends, had a VR birthday party. And he had that because everyone else in his class had had a, a VR okay. birthday party. And this is just in it. Yeah, like I said, this is just in the north of England. So I think it's actually, you know, where brands can really win sway with Gen Alpha. And it's not about, you know, marketing to kids right now. But if you want to just even build that, like, initial brand awareness, then thinking about, you know, Roblox strategy, get, gaming strategy more generally, Fortnite, whatever it might be, that's the place where brands can really drive influence with, with Gen Alpha today. And then, you know, the, the other side of the coin is, I think it gets into really murky waters, doesn't it? When you are a brand and maybe you're marketing only in the metaverse to try and target kids because ultimately, like, we want kids to be outside and we want them to be healthy and developing as well around yeah. individuals. I think there's also a balance to strike there. And I spoke to the CEO of Nike about this recently, about, you know, maybe Nike does have Nike land in Roblox, but also they're working on community activations in order to promote coaching, particularly promote coaching of young girls um, yeah. in and it's having that balance when you're looking at generation alpha and um yeah it's going to be a really interesting generation but i think they're definitely growing up a lot faster <laughs> yes yes but I, I think that's so what something that you that really stuck me that you just said there because it's it's a lesson we can take across all generations is people tend to think of their target audience now who are they wanting to speak to now but as the fashion retail landscape gets so much more competitive you know, if you only start talking to your target audience when they age into what you think your bracket is, it may already be too late. They've already got their other favorites and they're your mm. competitors. Mm. You know, you don't, you know, you don't want to make seven year old shop, I suppose. <laughs> but you do, you like you say, you can start nurturing that brand awareness earlier. You need to be familiar with these other channels, with these other platforms, mm. because even if they're not your audience now, in 10 years time, 20 years time, they will be. And yeah you will lose that runway. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is interesting. I think that, you know, a lot of your preconceptions about brands and the types of brands that you like, you know, I think by the time you start to join maybe high school, you know, by the time you're like 10, 11, you're already forming those associations yeah. and, those, and so are your peer group. And so like you need an awareness of those brands like a couple of years in advance so that they, you can really have that nurtured. And then it gets to when you start to, you know, maybe start asking your parents for certain items and start asking your parents for certain brands. It gets that point. And I know that, you know, it, when it comes to things like trainers, kids, kids already know what trainers they want when they're way below, you know, Gen Alpha yeah. know what trainers they want to wear. And yeah. I think sportswear companies do it really well. But I think, you know, in, in other verticals of fashion, maybe, maybe people lag behind in terms of doing it in the right way, but building that brand awareness with the youngest mm-hmm. generation. For sure. Now, one of uh, two last questions, I think. I'll try and squeeze in three, but we'll see. 
um, <laughs> if I can be that cheeky. So one of the big changes that we are seeing with younger consumers, you know, research in your shop, your shopping habits has always been pretty standard. You know, everyone's used to going on Google and looking up what they want to buy, particularly now the economy's tight. I think we'll probably see people researching a bit more. You've got to yes. be more careful where you're spending your money all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, but with the younger consumers, that's happening a lot more off Google and on social media instead. And you referenced this earlier with the way people are looking up clothing sizes, looking up fits on TikTok. Mm. Do you think social media is going to replace the the kind of search engines for this for this purpose or you know the place for both it's a really interesting question and I think I don't know if we'll ever get to a place where it fully replaces because I think there's certain verticals and topics that lend themselves to being searched on social media usually usually topics that are visual what I mean by that is things like home travel lifestyle food fashion Mm -hmm. Those, those kind of verticals, yes, but I can't see a world in which, you know, I'm researching for a, a research report or a student's researching for education yeah. more at a deeper level. But I do think that those very, you know, those kind of more visual, more yeah. like personal verticals in people's lives in, in, the, in the personal sphere, 100%, I think that that, and I think it's already happening. You know, I was discussing with a colleague the other day, and she was like, oh, yeah, whenever I get to a new city, I just type into TikTok, brunch, Portland, yep. and I do the same thing and I had not even thought about the fact that that was a habit that had changed yeah and then we were discussing it and we were saying actually you know the information on TikTok feels like it's made for people with more that align better with me so I feel like I'm going to have a better recommendation and I think in the fashion space as well particularly with fashion actually because fashion search is so saturated on Google and you don't know what's been paid to be put there you don't know you you don't know if you're actually getting the right recommendation for you or it's a, a series of a long long line of deals (laughs) on tiktok because of the way the algorithm works if you see in a video on your for you page or even on instagram as well it's from your friend group but on tiktok if you're seeing it on your for you page it's it's been programmed because it's supposed to be something that you like yeah it filters out this sort of paid placement situation in some ways Mm -hmm. obviously there are ads on tiktok and the spark ads and hashtag promotion and that kind of thing but i think it's it's definitely a lot further behind platforms like google when it comes mm-hmm. to you know, giving more relevant information, because I think you know it's it's just a platform that's used by people that align better with you in a way, because it's 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 so defined by age age group, it's so much younger, yeah. Uh, and in, Instagram as well, you know, I think particularly like we're such a visual, like millennials, Gen Zs, and, and Gen Alpha will be a, a, such a visual set of generations. We've yeah. grown up on social media with these these aesthetics and these micro trends that come from visuals online. And so I think that actually searching via visuals for things like fashion, food, hotels, restaurants, travel, everything, that, that it kind of lends itself to that. Like Instagram is a great place. You know, I'll type in a place sometimes and look at the location tags as well. And I th- yeah, I can see it. But yeah, only in certain sort of stratas of life will it, mm-hmm. does it make sense. Um, but certainly in the ones that, that we're interested in here, then yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brunch is all I'm interested in. Oh, um, yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> like, find me some good eggs benedict in Copenhagen on TikTok. It's, it really is crazy, though, because as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I do. And I, I also had never thought of that as a behavioral habit. It was just, yeah. it made sense to me, which that's is exactly true. what brands need to preempt. They need to be ready for these things that aren't for marketing. They aren't agendered. They just make sense to the audience. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point around trends as well, particularly, you know, brands have been faced with these micro trends that have emerged predominantly on TikTok and, you know, Mm. things like cottage core, goblin core, kid core, whatever it might be. And what what I've learned in reporting on this is that actually the best thing to do as a brand is not to sort of pivot your business every four weeks and start churning out product that subscribes to cottage core or subscribes to whatever it might be. The best thing to do is that look at your business already and when it makes sense, align. Mm-hmm. When it makes sense, yeah. you know, when it makes sense and when you feel like your products are, the colors that you have in your selection are, are subscribing to a certain movement on TikTok even, then that's time to speak up. That's time to start resharing content and, and mm-hmm. work with creators and that kind of thing. And, you know, it's not always going to align like that, but I think when it does it, it can be really amazing. So, like, for example, with Cottagecore, you know, there's there's Depop sellers and there's luxury fashion brands that had prairie dresses and white lace and, um, you know, floral prints etc they weren't they're not cottage core brands they've existed way before but that's the smart ones like leaned into the movement and started producing content that you know subscribed to to the trend and i think that's a really interesting space that we're in now where it's you know we're in a world where trends are moving at the speed of light and Mm. i think like for brands that you can get whiplash but it's about like staying true to your dna and just seeing where things naturally fit for sure And and i think that staying true is another important takeaway as well for listeners you know, we in our own research, we've seen how import, important authenticity is to consumers across the board, but mm-hmm. particularly for these younger shoppers. And I think there's probably nothing more cringy than when you see a brand desperately trying to cling onto a trend that's just not for them. It doesn't make sense for them. It doesn't align. You're better off, you know, sitting this one out, doing your own good content. And as you say, when the opportunity comes around that actually makes sense for you, then you can jump on that bandwagon. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's other ways to to boost relevance rather than, you know, changing like the, the clothing or the aesthetic or the designs. Um, yeah. I mean, I know I talked about Balenciaga before, but I think like what they've done in the last two years, whether it's the Simpsons, the Simpsons collaboration, dressing Kim Kardashian and Kanye West during their divorce, yeah. um, working with Fortnite. You know, these things are all extremely different, but the clothing yeah. and the aesthetic has stayed completely the same. But what yeah. they're identifying is, you know, points of interest movements pop culture cultural moments that are happening and aligning with those while staying true to the brand and and you know bring keeping the brand dna and actually now you know balenciaga is one of the best performing luxury brands at the moment in terms of its growth and in terms of its brand awareness mm. and brand relevance and it, it makes perfect sense when you look at the way that they've interacted with audiences digitally and and in terms of their shows without changing who they are without changing their, their aesthetic at all yeah it's, it is actually, they're pretty much a masterclass. Do go and check them out on all their socials if you're listening, because they really are nailing it. Yeah, if they've not delivered um, them all, because sometimes that happens as well. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the time this airs, they'll be long gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, true, so, true. <laughs> so I suppose we should probably try and draw us to a close, because I'm aware that we um, have taken up plenty of your time already. Um, so one of the bigger questions to land on you now Four big trends. What are the four must-know fashion industry trends that brands should be aware of that you've seen kind of this year and and for the next half as you see it? Yeah, of course. So a lot of these are, I I don't even like to call them trends. A couple of them are more movements because Mm -hmm. I don't think that they're going to peter out, but they're certainly upward trending within the industry. And I think the the first one in terms of these movements is gender-free fashion. 
Now, yes. I say gender free because um, there's a very, very knowledgeable man called Rob Smith who runs the Fluid Project, which is a gender fluid um, retail consultancy and, and also brand in out in the US. And he, he coined, well, didn't coin gender free, but he told me that that's the best way to express it because genderless is a, it all sounds like it's a bit less than and gender fluid. It's not really it's not really sure. So I call it gender free. But I think the main thing to note with this is, you know, we're seeing a few things happen at the same time. First of all, men are more willing to dress up than ever. They're consuming more fashion than, than ever. Um, yeah. And they're enjoying a sort of reworking of the, the, the gender binaries. And they're shopping a lot. They're cross shopping a lot more into styles that have traditionally been known as more feminine. You know, we've got icons like Harry Styles and Lil Nas X on the yes. scene. And we're seeing a real revol- revolution in menswear. And I think more broadly then that's fed into the idea that, you know, when it comes to brands, when it comes to retailers, we need to remove, but brands should be thinking about removing the categorizations. Mm-hmm. It's actually, and we've talked a lot about Gen Z already, for Gen Z, they don't see the same binaries and categorizations when it comes to gender that we see and yeah. that we have seen in the past. And and speaking of Rob Smith, you know, he works with a lot of retailers, particularly in the US, but it's going to come over to Europe as well from Saks to Nordstrom, I think it is. And what they work on is, you know, small, starting smaller, but making merchandising more, gender gender free and making you know signage more gender free and just really allowing to you know, allowing retailers to harness the opportunity because more and more people i want to buy clothing that traditionally is from outside of their gender so and i think actually you know gen z's love brands that stand up for what they believe in and align yeah. with their values and um, one of their big values is inclusivity diversity and acceptance and yeah. so i think that you know i know it can be difficult for brands because retailers kind of still have that categorization but I think that like, start thinking about it and it doesn't mean putting out a gender free capsule collection. It actually yeah. means just looking at the assortment you've already got and just making it more inclusive and accessible to anybody that might want to buy it. Yeah. And that, that's with things like signage or signposting online or it's things like sizing, you know, expand your shoe size range in your heels or expand, you know, the, the sizing on skirts and shirts. And every. I think it's just thinking about the logistical things that underpin it rather yeah. than being like we're now a gender fluid capsule we've got a gender fluid capsule and it's all beige and it's all one one size fits all <laughs> so that's that's the first thing and that's not even it's not new, a new thing but i certainly think that it's it's growing and growing and growing and proliferating and still a lot of the retailers are still lagging behind despite the fact yes. that consumers really want it so i thought that was an important one to know um, and then another one and i touched on this before is the absolute importance of pop culture in fashion right mm-hmm. now And this sounds, again, quite obvious. However, more so than ever over the last few fashion seasons, celebrities rather than traditional influencers. So so music artists, actors, comedians, people that exist in the arts have driven more media impact value at every fashion show, every every fashion week than traditional fashion influencers. You know, people who built millions and millions of followers strictly for being being an influencer. Yeah, I think that that's a tipping point. And I think it's really interesting, but it's partly based on the pandemic where you know people were consuming more content more cultural content than ever before whether mm. that's films netflix shows disney plus shows but don't want to favor one platform whatever um, <laughs> music albums people were just so culturally attuned and yeah. i think the effect of that has been is that they want they want to sort of be part of a, a cultural universe in which their favorite artists align with their favorite fashion brands align with their favorite um, pop stars and their favorite com- comedians even and they want to ad- identify those like networks of creativity um so you look at you know speaking of gucci and you and harry styles like you look at that and that synergy there 
is so powerful. And I can only imagine the, the sort of brand power that Gucci have built. I mean, they launched a collaboration with Harry Styles officially yesterday, but over these years. And I think that we're just seeing a, a real shift in the way that brands work with talent. And, and I think having one amazing musician at your fashion show is way more powerful than having a front row full of influencers t- today. Yeah. Um, and then, and also with TV too, you know, we've seen like these trends like Regency Core come from Bridgerton or right now there's a Kate Bush track in the top 10 because it was featured on Stranger Things. And, and okay. with Stranger Things, you know, people were going crazy over the merch when it was season three. And there's just this real melding. And mm. I think as a fashion brand or as a beauty brand or whatever it might be, like be attuned to those trends in pop culture. You need to know like whose album everybody's listening to, what series everybody's watching and identify synergies where your brand can align because that's that's yeah. just, it's just a really smart way to act today. Definitely. And then number three is more of a sort of fashion-y trend, um, mm-hmm. dopamine dressing. Now, this is something that I reported on. I reported on it quite a while ago. It must be, maybe not a year, but I think it was last spring. Yeah. Uh, However, it's definitely, definitely continuing and it keeps on growing. Yeah. And the idea of dopamine dressing, for those who are not familiar, is a fashion that is very bright, bright colours, printed, bold. And it's giving people a real sense of optimism, particularly during the pandemic. And as we've come out of it, I think that, you know, people are still wanting to dress in a really bold fun way because it, we haven't actually been out for that long and like a lot of people people across the world you know in, in China and other parts of Asia have, have not been out for very long at all and I think you know it's it's such a powerful way to express how you feel and express your excitement of being being back in the world again and brands that subscribe to it are doing really really well you know you look at brands like Justin Bieber streetwear brand Drew House and everything's yellow and pink and orange and purple and um, I've been working on a story with them and recently I've been speaking to a lot of their fans and what they mostly say is, you know, it just like, it's just really happy. And the yeah. smiley face logo and it just makes me feel good. And I think particularly for Gen Z, like the way that they've embraced colour in in the way mm. that they dress and the way they've embraced brands that represent that has been, it's been really fascinating. So I think that that's not, that's not necessarily a movement. It maybe will peter out, but I think it's like a big, a macro trend over the last couple of years for sure. 100%. I still remember the first moment I walked into, I think it was Zara, and it was just a wall of neon. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, we're free. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I'm somebody, I mean, I'm doing it today, but I'm somebody that wears a lot of black and like dark yeah, colors. Me too. Honestly, I mean, I recently I've really been injecting color into my wardrobe. I don't, and yeah. it's completely unconscious. It's not that I've written the story and then I'm going for it. But I think there is just this like quite this sense of optimism um, yeah. in the way that people want to dress. And, and it, you know, I think fashion just, it, it it does make it does have an effect on your mood. It doesn't have an effect. Yeah. It's like a feedback loop, right? If you wear something bright and colourful, like maybe it'll improve your day, or if you're feeling good, maybe you want to wear something that's bright and colourful. So, yeah. And then the final one, it, it kind of links to to the second one around culture. So maybe I should have done that after that after. But um, also, fashion is really leaning into new sports. And I, you know, I cover the streetwear and sportswear market a lot, and obviously, we've seen a mass casualization over the last. 10, 10, 12 years yeah. um, anyway in the way that people dress. But actually over more recent years, kind of things that you wouldn't even expect maybe to align with with luxury brands or with the fashion industry have become really pro- popular. So everything from golf to tennis, uh, yeah. uh, skateboarding, Formula One, 
these sports maybe will be put in the spotlight for a certain reason. So maybe it's with tennis, maybe it's the rise of Naomi Osaka or Emma Raducanu mm-hmm. and these like really empowering people, inspiring people. And then it's sort of, or maybe it's that it's there's a TV show about it. So maybe it's The Last Dance in terms of basketball or maybe it's the Formula One recent Netflix documentary that now has everybody I know watching Formula One. Yeah, but fashion actually and I mean the brands are definitely listening in the way that I was saying they should but you know I've seen so many brands collaborating on supercars on Formula One inspired collections mm-hmm. tennis inspired collections there's a lot of young brands that are launching that are in the sort of golf space or the tennis yeah. space. they're for Gen Z and they're they're cool and they're not like what your granddad would be wearing at the golf <laughs> And I think that's a, it's a real testament to the way that you, the industry can evolve. And this sort of, I think it's like the next phase of this casualization movement. We've gone beyond maybe just like everybody being like, everybody like wearing sweats and it being like, we're all in athleisure. So yeah. you know, people being inspired by actual like different sports and different interests and how that can be what you wear maybe on the pitch or on the court, but then translate into your normal life as well. Um, so that's another way that I think, you know, it's something that we're going to keep seeing and I'm desperate to know what the next sport is going to be. Um, oh, I've right. already reported on skateboarding on Formula One this year. Well, my colleague reported on Formula One this year. So we'll see what's next. But I think, you know, these trends as well, these these points of interest are, are really, really interesting to keep an eye on as a brand if you want to align with young people. Yeah, I am here for any trend that gets me more comfortable clothes. <laughs> kinds of trends yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've not played tennis since I was a kid but honestly I bought a tennis skirt I'm 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 ready I'm ready to yeah, go. like the amount of tennis skirts I have saved in baskets all over my apps and I'm like I this is something I would have like scoffed at as a teenager yeah. you know that would seem very uncool and now I cannot get enough of them the little golf vests totally. I look like the most sporty person I know do not do any of it <laughs> and then I guess the other point is I mean a lot of people are doing way more sports since the pandemic like you know the apps like Strava have seen like millions and millions of new users and the Nike running app and things like that like gym like um online fitness boom during the pandemic now people are back in gyms and playing more sports so I think it's you know it's a six of one and a half a dozen of the other where like these this sports wear can be one in your normal life but then also a lot of people are just playing playing more outdoor sports like they got really <laughs> into it because it was the only thing to do so yeah. I think yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting one that but um yeah I, I haven't actually used my tennis skirt to play tennis yet <laughs> I, I <laughs> that's a promise everyone you heard it here first <laughs> to the court. straight out to Glastow that's yeah. the next stop <laughs> amazing well I think uh we probably have what time for one more short question if that's okay Lucy of course and that is um kind of a spin-off of what we just talked about and that's if you look ahead to 2023 or even a couple of years beyond that is there any one big trend change movement that you're seeing that you think is going to sway or dictate the course fashion takes from here on out I think there's two things I mean we've already talked about web3 and the metaverse but I think what's really important to note with that is that we are completely in in its infancy right now there Mm -hmm. isn't actually one centralized place where even if I wanted if I turned to my friend and was like do you want to meet me and like wear some fashion in the metaverse they would be like what where (laughs) I think that actually you know in the next couple of years we're going to see a real maturation of where people can exist in the metaverse how they can turn up and Mm -hmm. also you know at the moment things like nfts a lot of brands have been issuing nfts right but there are nfts that maybe you can wear in one type of metaverse or maybe there are nfts that you can keep in your wallet and you can have as like your profile picture but like you can't wear if you want to play a video game yeah i think that what we're going to see is it's going to be like with social media where 
eventually, you know, maybe by 2023, maybe a bit later, we will all have these centralized spaces that are the TikTok, the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram of, of Web3. Mm. We will have the type of fashion that we have. You know, right now we know that there's been like Instagram aesthetics and Instagram fashion trends and TikTok fashion trends that have come from that. We will have trends within digital fashion and we will have things that we want to wear on our avatars. And I just think and we'll be able to buy an NFT, for example, that's a fashion NFT that we can wear while playing Fortnite, that we can also wear in Decentraland, that we can also dress our board ape with. Yeah. So have as an Instagram AR filter when we take a photo. There's just a lot of centralization that needs to happen. But I think mm. when we get there, that's when it's going to get actually really exciting. Um, game changer yeah totally and then the other side of it and this is in the, the real world um is i think that we're going to see even an even further shift to purpose mm-hmm. i think with gen z you know they grew up in a time where political political decisions would be made and then reversed three years later with a new leader yeah uh, you know social issues um like would arise you know from covid and to Black Lives Matter, to the most divisive US election in history, to Brexit in the UK and all around the world, you know, the war in Ukraine. They've grown up in such a tumultuous time. And I think during that time, you know, brands revolutionise the way that we live. Like whether it's Apple or Amazon or any, any fashion label that has massive trends, you know, brands change the way that we live. And I think that young people and Generation Alpha will do so even more, I think, because of their relationship with technology. Mm they look to brands to, to change the world as much as they yeah. look to the politicians and governments to do so. And I think that that's only going to be, become more intense um, as the younger generations mature further. Couldn't agree more. What a generation. I feel disappointed in my own generation. <laughs> I know, yeah. Like, what did we do? Just, like, avocado toast. and like... yeah. <laughs> Those brunches. Those brunches are ruining us. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, well, listen, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today, Lucy. You have shared so much expertise, so many insights. That I know all of our listeners will be able to put into use in their strategies going forward. Um, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat to you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this summer special episode of Influence Marketing Talks. If you can't get enough, if this hasn't sated your appetite, do remember that we have a whole season behind us that you can tune into anytime. Just head to www.curemedia.com or search Influence Marketing Talks on any of your favorite streaming platforms. We are everywhere. For now, we're all going to go on the summer break, but we'll be back after the summer, August the 17th, with season four and lots of fresh new episodes and more amazing guests. Have an amazing summer and we'll see you back here then.